0: Anyway, so, um, today it's all about what does Christmas mean to me? And I kind of thought I'm going to break it down into three points, if you don't mind, but it'll be really short points, because we haven't got a lot of time. So, um, the first point was, what is Christmas? And I kind of thought, well, we all kind of know what Christmas is. Uh, It's a worldwide celebration. There are seven billion people on this planet 2.5 billion of which profess to be Christian whether they're practicing or nominal so there's a massive celebration going on particularly for those who do believe in Jesus that he's their savior Um, and we all kind of know that Jesus wasn't born on the 25th that we hijacked that date from a winter solstice pagan festival but I don't really mind because if it means it's another chance to celebrate the birth of my lord I'm going to take it okay Um, so people focus on food drink mistletoe, mint pies, that kind of thing. Um, people will be looking forward for a break from work, sitting in front of the TV, and if you're a child, it's gonna be all about Santa, how amazing. Um, but for some of us, it is a real dreaded time of the year. For those of you who are lonely, without family, who may be in prison, you haven't got your family around you. Christmas isn't what you see on TV. It's not that amazing family meal on a 12-foot-long table laden with food and everyone having a great time. It can be really, really isolating and quite a depressing period in their calendar. But what does Christmas mean to God? And I kind of think that John 3.16 sums it up. And I think we've got it on the... Yes, thank you. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life God gave us that gift at this time and it's just the most amazing and precious gift that we could receive from our heavenly father prophecy in God's mind was finally being fulfilled on that day and we've got another verse I think most of you know these ones in Isaiah 7:14. Uh, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign the sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Um, so again, that was a prophecy. The virgin did conceive and she bought a son who we will call and we do call Emmanuel. And then there's another verse, Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, as Nathan said earlier, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, prince of peace, that is just, you know, Jesus personified, isn't it, really? That is who he is. He is our mighty father, counselor, prince of peace. All those things wrapped up in one happened on that very day in that stable over there. Well, not literally that stable (laughs) over there. But you know what I'm saying. Okay. Um, So God gave us on that day the very best that he had. His unconditional love was an act of his will because he chose to love us by sending His best gift. Um, And think about the person who rubs you up the wrong way at this time of year because Jesus came for him or her too. Think about uh, the suicide bomber, the rapist, the thief who broke into your home. Jesus came down from heaven for them too. And they deserve to hear the word. They shouldn't be excluded at this time. If we know people like that, then we need to be going out and telling them about that amazing young baby that was born at this time for them too. Jesus came and he stayed with us to get the job done. Jesus was, I know, sorry, political, sorry Nathan, that was a little bit, (laughs) Jesus was God's gift to mankind. For the worst of humankind, he was born to die. So with all that said, what does Christmas mean to me? Well, in my kind of history, Christmas came in uh, two, two parts. The first part was before I was nine years old. We had great Christmases in my house. I remember my first amazing Christmas present, I must have been about four or five, was this uh, doll in a wooden high chair. And it was just the most amazing present I ever received. And I still can see myself looking at this present going (gasps) like that. And then my siblings all had similar amazing things bought by my mum and my dad. And then the second Christmas, which was just fabulous was having it in the Caribbean for two weeks my mum saved up like mad I don't know how long it took her to save up to buy five airplane tickets to go across to Jamaica to be with her family (coughs) sorry who she hadn't seen in 18 years at this point so she took us all over and we had Christmas in the Caribbean with cousins uncles and aunts that I'd never met before we dragged suitcase upon suitcase full of presents for all these people in my family it was amazing time brilliant and then that was it because at the age of nine, my parents split, and my mum fled an abusive relationship really with my dad, and we were taken by taxi across Birmingham to a woman's refuge where we spent I think three months before the council rehoused us. So we were down from being quite an affluent family, first immigrants, really unusual, we had our own house, we had foreign holidays, all that kind of thing, to being a one parent family when money was really, really tight. Because shortly after that, my mum got me redundant. So even more hardships were to follow. And my main memory is of um, kind of writing my Argus Christmas list, as we did before, (laughs) handing it to my mum and watching her face. And she'd be like, (sighs) didn't say much, but the shrug and the raised eyebrows kind of told us all we had to know. really wasn't going to happen. So for the next nine years, until I was like 18, Christmas didn't really fill me with any joy, any anticipation. It wasn't something I looked forward to. It was just kind of a part of my life to get over with as quickly as possible because I never got what I wanted at all. But don't get me wrong, we did have Fizzy Pop on the Christmas table because that's what she could afford, and we were grateful for that. I mean, literally, it was Cherry and Dandelion and Burdock. Great. But it didn't change for me until I had my own children when I kind of made the mental note to just get them at least one thing on that very long august christmas list that they would give to me and uh, expect me to get so we you know they had the joy that i didn't have as a child they had that look of amazement and wonderment and then christmas started to change for me and then when i became a christian christmas became something even more special because i realized that it's not about the receiving but it's about what god gave to us on that day you know it's about what we can also do for other people who are less fortunate than we are it is about that person down the street that hasn't got anyone uh, to celebrate Christmas with it is about making sure that our family members who are on their own or isolated have something to celebrate and it's as a Christian I think that's my duty to make sure that there are people out there who aren't left out who get to hear something of God's Word who get to recognize what Jesus did on that day In that stable he came for me he died for me he was born to die for me so i could have the very precious gift of life so um finishing i'm kind of thinking christmas is all about for me now giving thanks to the one who made it all possible as god gave his best for me and for you and for the world out there Shouldn't we be doing the same for others, giving our best to them so they have a little bit of what Jesus actually did and who he is at this time of year? Amen.
1: That's wonderful, isn't it? You know, what, I, one of my favourite things about doing the tag teams, uh, and this is why we, I know we've been doing them for a number of years now, but I like to keep them in at least, you know, at least once a year. Because it really just gives you the opportunity to uh, to hear from somebody and find out things that I didn't have a clue about, you know, some of those things from from your past, uh, Claudia. And it's really really insightful, you know. It really brings us together, doesn't it? When you uh, when you get to hear those kinds of things. But I love that God gave us His best, didn't He? What's the best gift that you're going to give this year? You know, think about that. God gave His only Son for us. You know, He gave His best. That's brilliant. Next up, we have we have. Our wonderful Simon. Simon is uh, Simon has been um, an Anglican vicar for 47 years. That's correct, isn't it, Simon? 47 years. Do you know what? That's that that that's worthy of honour. That is, because you know, I've been now in the senior leader position. But just give him a clap. Now, I've been in, this, in a position as a senior leader in ministry for just a year, and I've got to be honest, it can be quite, um, you know, quite tiring. There's some wonderful moments, but let me tell you, for 47 years, that is longevity, that's perseverance, that's faithfulness, that's commitment. It's all of those, those brilliant things and all the fruits of the Spirit coming together to make that happen. So, Simon, we just want to honor you this morning and, um, and, uh, and pay attention to what you've got to say. Bless you. Thank
2: you, Nathan. do before I start is put my watch on here because I have an awful reputation for being long-winded. Thank you for what you said, Nathan. Yes, I've served the Lord as a priest in the Church of England for quite a long time now, but one of the things that I've always been glad about is that when you're ordained as a priest in the Church of England, the service actually says, the bishop says to you, I ordain you as a priest in the Church of God. Not as, just as a priest in the Church of England, not in this little narrow bracket. But you have a ministry in the whole of God's church. And one of the joys of my ministry over all these years is that I've been able to work with Christians of all sorts of different denominations. I've sung in the choir of a Russian Orthodox church. I've preached at New Frontiers churches. I've done a lot of work with Methodists, Baptists, United Reformed. I've even preached in Catholic churches in France. So my ministry has been very much involved in trying to help in the process of bringing all God's people together. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everywhere, not just throughout this country but throughout the world... All God's people acted as one and the world could see. You know that prayer that Jesus offered that John quotes in the 17th chapter of his gospel? That you may all be one that the world may believe. And for centuries we haven't been one and what's happened? Pray God that people will see Jesus again this Christmas as the one who unites. As Nathan was alluding to earlier, this last week has seen a massive focus of division in our country. I was noticing earlier when he was saying that, that the two lights up there, you know, one of them's red and one of them's blue. Is this, is this J28's way of saying, you know, we don't have favorites
1: in this? <laughs>
2: We rejoice because God sent his son to be born for us. It was a great miracle. People are not normally born like that. But why did Jesus have to be born at all? You know, people ask these questions. Couldn't he just have appeared at some moment? You know, seeing that God was able to find someone suitable to be His mother, couldn't He have just found someone who was suitable to be the Messiah and then adopted Him for the purpose? Just leave that hanging in the air. I want to come back to a biblical quote that we've had already, and we may well have again. I don't know. Probably the most popular verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. God's love for the world was such that he gave his only begotten son to the end that everyone who believes in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. I'm sorry if the version I'm giving you is different to what you got on the screen, <clears throat> but that's just the way it'll be. Hopefully it comes to the same thing. Jesus was born... So that we human beings, each one of us, one by one, might find our salvation in him. But what that verse says, (coughs) excuse me, is not the whole story. There's a side of the story that we tend to avoid at Christmas time, but it is there in the way Matthew and Luke tell it. Matthew, writes this, talking about when the magi came to see the child that was born. On entering the house and seeing the boy with Mary, his mother, they prostrated themselves and worshipped him. And opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, we know all these stories very well, don't we? I mean, you've heard that end times before. But think about it. Gold. Gold for a king. Fine. Incense for a priest. I mean, you don't use incense here, but some churches still do. But myrrh? Myrrh was something that was used for burials. Jesus has only just been born. I mean, they've come and brought him something that he's going to need when he gets buried, you know, it's a, it's a bit like giving a family grave clothes as a christening present. Then Luke, writing about when Mary and Joseph took Jesus up to the temple to offer the sacrifice that was customary offered to the firstborn son, tells us that there was this old prophet, Simeon, and in what he said, he said this, his purpose, his purpose, Jesus' purpose, this child that Mary is holding in her arms in front of him, his purpose is to bring about the fall and the raising up of many in Israel. Israel. Be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pass through your own soul. You know, birth, the birth of a child, is a joyful time, isn't it? You know, the mother forgets the pain of childbirth for joy that a child has come into the world. And here's Simeon saying. This child is going to bring you, Mary, pain. It's going to be like a sword going through your soul. And actually, he's going to cause division. He's going to cause opposition. People are going to be against him. People are going to want to get rid of him. Bless him, he's only 40 days old. God's plan always was that the Messiah should die, to give his life, to pay the debt we have incurred by our sin, so that when he rises again, we can enter into his new life. Paul explains this a bit in his letter to the Romans. This is Romans chapter 6. Those of us who have been baptized into Jesus the Messiah, that's A strange expression, isn't it? Being baptized into Jesus the Messiah. Have been baptized into his death. We have been buried in him. And through his baptism into death. So that just as the Messiah was raised from death through the Father's glory, we too might be able to walk in newness of life. Jesus died and rose again we can enter into his dying to our sin and all that it means for us so that we, with him, can enter into the new life that he came to bring us. So, if Jesus had to die, to truly die... He had to be truly human because God can't die. He needed to be born as a human child. And the manner of his birth, that great mystery of Christmas, demonstrates how he is both human and divine. John, at the beginning of his gospel, this is John chapter 1, verse 12, writes, whoever did receive him, whoever believed in his name, to them he gave power to become children of God. They were not forgotten by procreation or carnal desire or human choice, but by God. We can be born as children of God by the act of God because Jesus came before us as a man, as a human being into whose life we can enter. Paul, writing again to the church in Rome, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God And if children, then also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with the Messiah, if indeed we share his suffering so that we may share his glory. We have to live our lives in him, accepting the suffering. Paul writes somewhere else, doesn't he, that. He has to make up all that has yet to be undergone in the sufferings of Christ for his people. We become children of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus the Messiah. He walked the way of death and resurrection so that we, putting our faith in him and being incorporated into what he has done, do not have to walk that way physically in order to find forgiveness and renewal. This question of how God could also be a man deeply troubled the church in the first few centuries. There were a lot of things that people wanted to work out because they're not actually written for us directly in scripture. You have to draw it out. And the basis of the answer that has been accepted ever since, and it's really what's in the Christian creeds. It was provided about called Athanasius. He was later to become leader of the Christians in Egypt. We don't think of Egypt as being a particularly Christian country today, but in the fourth century, it was a Christian country. He wrote a little book called On the Incarnation. and In it, the one sentence that meant most to people, because you know it's always easier to have slogans, isn't it? things that you can remember and repeat, particularly in cultures where not everybody can read and write. God was made man that we might be made God. Now, us being made God, is that really a strange idea? Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 10. You are gods, quoting from Psalm 82, I think it is. We are called to reaffirm, to be replaced into what God created us as in the image and likeness of himself. Jesus died so that we could share in his life and be raised up to be children of God. The word became flesh. We know that unless Jesus returns before our day comes, we will all have to die. It is the one certainty in life, isn't it? Death. But Jesus was born so that he could die. The purpose of his being born as a human being was so that he could pass through death and be raised up so that we could then share in his death and resurrection and be raised up ourselves. The wise men brought myrrh because they knew he would have to die. Simeon foretold to Mary and Joseph that he would be a cause of division, that people would rise up against him, and that they, well, we always assume that Joseph was dead by the time Jesus was crucified. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but the fact that he wasn't around would seem to indicate it. Mary, you think of her standing at the cross. You know, could she imagine that when she was standing in the temple with Joseph? So what does Christmas mean to me? You no, know, God sent his son into the world. But he sent his son into the world so that he could be killed. So that he could be killed for my sake, for your sake, for the world's sake. Yes, we rejoice that God sent his son into the world. But we need to rejoice as people who don't just recognize that the Messiah came and he was a great teacher and he healed lots of people and he won our salvation. But we need to remember what that means, what that meant for him, what he knew he was going to have to undergo once he was old enough to understand that. And didn't you know I have to be about my father's business? Christmas to me, yes it is a great joy but it is also a great pain that I have to recognize that my sins were the cause of his birth which was inevitably to lead to his murder let us then receive Jesus and know that in him we have life but at great cost To him be praise, now and forever. Amen.
1: Wonderful, wasn't it? Wonderful. You know, Simon is a great example of cross-denominational unity, in my opinion. You know, we're um, we're a strange bunch, aren't we? (laughs) This lot are a strange bunch, but... um, Simon's you know in this past couple of years he's come and made his home you know in this local church and I applaud him for that because we all have our different traditions you know there are many different traditions in the church but I just think Simon's a great example that we have our different traditions but we worship the same king don't we we have the same purpose you know and that purpose is exactly to what Simon was just alluding to there that we worship the savior that came into the world that was born to die you know for our, for our sin and uh, we rejoice that we've received his salvation if you haven't received his salvation i want to encourage you today you know if you're in this place please you know at the end of this service do you know what i may just i may just even give an appeal you know off the back of off the back of the back of what has just been sharing there and claudia and ruth's to come next do you know what i think it'd be appropriate i'm just gonna i'm just gonna invite you uh, to accept jesus if you if you've never already done that but we'll do that as we close next up we've got ruth ruth is uh do you know what I love Ruth to bits, I absolutely love Ruth to bits, I just feel like God sent her to this church, I feel like God sent all of you to this church by the way, I'm not showing any favouritism or anything like that but Ruth has uh, been with us for, how many years have you been in this church now Ruth? Six or seven years, gosh, yeah, it's been an eternity, hasn't it? Um, but now Ruth is Ruth, uh, you know, serves in many different ways. She's wonderfully talented, you know. When it comes to worship, she leads worship. She plays the, the piano. Uh, she's also one of our board of directors, one of the trustees, you know, to make sure that we're all staying in line, you know. So well, I'll point you in Ruth's direction if there's any problems. Um, but uh, no, she does, and she fulfills that role so wonderfully. And uh, I'm excited to hear what she's got to share this morning. Let's give her a give her a clap.
2: This
3: is really nerve-wracking, by the way. (laughs) So, um, when I was approached to talk about what Christmas means to me, it's actually quite, I thought, do you know, it's probably one of the best subjects for me. I love Christmas. So, my house looks like Santa's Grotto. Um, I love the songs, I love the carols, Um, my sister actually gave me a radio station back back in like beginning of October, which was Christmas songs, I didn't didn't put it on that early, but it was close, Um, so, and I'm looking forward to the party tonight, so I was like, yeah, you know, this is for me, but I think when I was, um, you know, preparing for this, I think it was more about, not what it means to me, but what it represents for me. So, um, we'll start. <laughs> the main reason I love Christmas is because it's a time we celebrate G- Jesus entering the world. There's a bit of theme going on here, you might, you might get. So, um, he is Christ in the word Christmas. So, when you see the word, it's like Christmas, really, not Christmas. So, I don't like it when people start cutting his name out. Christmas, no no chance, Christmas, because they're taking the true meaning of Christmas out of the word. It's a time of year we celebrate the birth of Jesus, so actually, technically, it's his birthday, whether it's the right right time or not, but it's his birthday. And what's more exciting, he gets a month's worth of birthday rather than one day, which (laughs) I think is brilliant. So, yeah, it might not be the actual time, but it's a time to remember that God gave his only son to the world through a mighty miracle in a virgin called Mary. Um, Yeah, she became pregnant, subsequently gave birth to God. Part of the tradition of Christmas is the giving of gifts. I get immense pleasure in giving gifts, um, and the joy you see in people's faces when they receive something from you, it's really satisfying. Um, And I do it because I love them. But imagine what it was like for God. God gave his only son to the world because he loves us. Yeah, but with that immense love he had for us, he knew that it would come with sacrifice. So very similar to what Simon said, but it was planned to happen. You know, he knew by um, uh, Jesus coming onto this earth he was going to die. So I haven't got the John 3.16, but I have got Romans 5 verse 8. And it says, But God demonstrates his love for us in the way that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I find it really amazing that he loves us so much, he would sacrifice his son for us. Not that the sacrifice was at that point in, in history. So it wasn't for that time, 2,000 years ago. that actually... He planned this for us, and even for children that are born yet, He plans it for every single one of us. I celebrate Christ as much as I celebrate uh, Christmas. Sorry, as much as I celebrate Easter, the representation of Easter is in the cross, but the representation of Christmas is in the manger, the birth and life of Jesus. So, Christmas for me is a time to remember God's love for us. Christ makes me ha- Christmas makes me happy, but our real happiness in Jesus, the Christ, in Christmas. So Luke 2, verse 10 and 11 says, Then the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. So not only did God show his love for us through the birth of Jesus, I believe he wanted us to experience great joy through knowing him. So the meaning of joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. So by knowing God intimately and spending time in his presence through the Holy Spirit, you will know great pleasure and happiness, which is joy. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, you will show me the path of life; in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, by t- spending time in God's presence, you will have fullness of joy, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. If you're going through some difficult uh, difficulties, spend time in His presence and focus on Him, not on your circumstances. And I read this recently, and I have shared it with a few people. But it was um, something on one of those daily planning planners you get through uh, the Bible. And it said, The joy of the Lord really is your strength, and the devil knows it. The devil is not interested in your health, marriage, or finances. They do not mean a thing to him. But what he is after is your joy. And the way that he tries to steal your joy is by going after your health, marriage, and finance. The devil knows he cannot deny you of your salvation or of the forgiveness that Jesus has given you. So what he tries to steal is the most valuable commodity that he's able to get his hands on to. And he will do everything that he can to lie to you and eventually deceive you out of your joy. So James 1, verse 2 and 3 My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Throughout our lives, we'll face things that will test us, test our faith, test our trust in God, and rob us of our joy. But how you face these trials, choosing to trust God, through them will bring peace and increase your faith. Um, I shared this when I shared my testimony, so sorry if it's a bit of a repeat. But back in 2016, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. But during that time, I never stopped worshipping and loving God. Worshipping him, worshiping him gives me great joy. Changing your thoughts from despair to rejoicing makes you face things in a positive way. It's tough, but Martin is now cancer-free. Amen. So at work, I've experienced people saying nasty things about me to ruin my reputation, but trying, uh, trying to steal my joy, but the Lord's on my side. I had trouble with finances, got into a lot of debt, but I've learned to tithe with joy and rejoice and receive God's blessings. I've learned to have an aptitude of accepting the things I cannot change, remaining positive and seeking a solution to, to them through God's word and prayer, will change, change what's happening. When I start to feel negative, I find it's the best time to chat with God. My prayers are just a conversation with my Heavenly Father. Um, and then this brings me to, my um, thoughts go to the serenity prayer, and I don't know if you know it, but it does say, grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as a pathway to peace, taking as he did this simple world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that it will make all things right if I surrender to his will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and ever in the next. Amen. No, no, no. Cut me short. (laughs) So we are getting there. So as we celebrate Christmas this year and celebrate God's love for us and that Jesus was born to enable us to have an intimate relationship with him and life after death, do not let Christmas be defined by our circumstances, but our circumstances to be ever changed because of Christmas. What I've learned is not to let the circumstances I face define me, but let God defy me in the circumstances I face. So to summarise it then, Christmas is very commercialised, but see beyond it and remember it's a time that God loved us so much that he sent his son. Whilst it might not be the actual date of Jesus who was born, he was born into this world which uh, ended with his death, the greatest sacrifice ever made. That sacrifice gives each one of us a knowledge that we have eternal life, life after death, So let's celebrate his birth and death and let us accept uh, the greatest gift God will ever give us in Jesus Christ. To know God and Jesus intimately is to experience a feeling of great pleasure and happiness, also known as joy. We will all face trials, but do not let the things that you are facing steal your joy. Do not let the circumstances you face define you, but let God define you in your circumstances. So God's act of love You will be able to experience great pleasure and happiness in knowing Jesus as a friend and saviour. So this Christmas, be joyful and remember, God loves you. He He only wants what's best for you. Trust in him, whatever you are facing, and know that joy is possible when you read his word and spend time in his presence.
1: was really really excellent Ruth honestly I, um, I don't want to please just you know forgive me I don't want to embarrass you in any way but uh, you know that emotion that you feel you know that comes over you when you when you speak about Jesus can I encourage you don't try and suppress that you know I believe that's God given you know I felt as I was sitting there listening to Ruth I felt I can trust this lady I can trust what she's saying you know because that emotion shows a real genuineness what I saw from